Hey Vikings, it's Sophie here. And Link. Today we are bringing you a special segment that's a little different. Uh, we got an interview by Savea with Gemma Hickey. So, a little background information. Gemma Hickey, actually, they graduated from Gonzaga in class of 1994, which is super cool. And they were the first person to get a non-binary birth certificate in Canada, which I think is wonderful. So they're a activist. Yeah, and this this interview kind of just talks about, you know, the the struggles and the difficulties of just trying to be yourself in a world that doesn't always allow that. Yeah. And so it talks about um, coming out safely. And there is slight mention of clergy sexual abuse. So if that is very, very uncomfortable for you, skip it. It's like five seconds. But yeah. And it really just talks about the hardships of your sexual orientation or your gender identity not matching up with the heterosexual and cis normality. Yep. Yeah. Of the world. So, yeah. anyway, so um, we hope you enjoy. We definitely did. Okay. Hey, uh, Vikings, it's Svea from the podcast. They were going to be interviewing Gemma Hickey. Um, they were one of the first people in Canada, and I believe the first person in Newfoundland to get a non-binary birth certificate. Uh, they are a survivor of clergy abuse, and they're an activist. Uh, they've been doing activism since, you know, forever. Honestly, that's how it is when you're, <laughs> that's how it is when you're gay. You kind of have to fight for it, you know? Um, uh, we'll probably just do a little bit like conversationally. I do yeah. have some questions prepared, but if there's anything you'd like to add. Um, uh, the first question is, we talked about this a little bit before in GSA, but just for our listeners on the podcast, uh, what made you want to get into activism? Like I know as a queer person, as a survivor, like uh, it's important to share with like people around you, but it's also some people take it upon themselves to share with the world. And I'd like to know what made you want to share with other people. I just felt that I've always felt a strong sense of social responsibility and uh, I think that was always in me and you know I started volunteering um, as a Viking volunteer that's what the program was called back then and um, I think I really got into social justice through my experience here um, at Gonzaga and um, you know just based on a number of the things that I've gone through in my life I really feel like that prompted me to to do more because I didn't want uh, young people to experience the same things that I've I, that I went through. You know that I, I internalized a lot of homophobia and transphobia and and uh, you know and I think that that alone when I came out and told everyone, you know for the most part I had a positive experience and so I, I felt that I had a responsibility uh, to others, to my community, to my province and country, whoever. You know I just felt that there was a responsibility um, to do right and uh, and you know, seek justice, and and that's just how I roll, yeah. it seems, you know? I feel it was a similar way. We were talking before we hit record. I am, I'm not from this province, as some of our listeners might know. Uh, when I was living in Manitoba a few years ago, I started the GSA, and it was because I just felt like, you know, I'm I'm from Nova Scotia. It's a pretty accepting province. We have a very good pride. I think we ranked, like, number 11 in all of Canada, and I felt like people in Manitoba deserve to feel just as proud of their identity as mm -hmm. I did and how I got to feel, and it was, 
I just I feel like everybody, every queer person, every minority, but because I'm queer, mm -hmm. it speaks specifically about queer people. They deserve just to feel to feel just as proud of their identity as anybody else. And like sometimes you feel like if nobody else is going to do it, you have to be the one mm -hmm. to do it. Yeah, know? that's true. I mean, we can't take our rights for granted. Really, yeah. we have to fight for them. They're yeah. not given to us. Yeah. And so, you know, back when I was your age, we joked about that earlier, it makes yeah. me feel really old, you know, grad 94 over here. Um, you know, there was no safe place signs, no safe space signs, no gender neutral washrooms. You know, nobody talked about it. There was nothing in curriculum or even on TV shows, you know, uh, in pop culture. Like there was none of that. And so I really felt that I had to carve that space out in more ways than one. And, and, uh, and so visibility, I think, is is so very important. If you're in a place to be able to be visible, which I had the support of my family and friends at the time, uh, to be so public, then you know, I I felt uh, that I'd do it. Yeah, I once again similarly, I had a lot of supportive friends and family. Um, my mom's side is a little bit more supportive than my dad's side, but I had a lot of supportive friends, especially, and um, uh, it just. It feels like you know yeah i have to be the one to do this for some mm -hmm. people because a lot of my friends in manitoba who are queer didn't have anybody sticking up for them or yeah. that they had very few people so i feel like i kind of had to take the lead you know um our next question is comes from somebody else in gsa but they're not here today mm -hmm. uh with us in the interview uh they wanted to know what gives you confidence whether that be something you do or like something you wear things like that what gives you confidence mm -hmm. That's a really good question. I don't think I've ever been asked that in all the questions I've been asked and all the interviews I've done, you know, uh, what gives me confidence? Wow. Um, you know, when you've been through all the things you, that I've been through, um, you just get a strong sense of yourself and that doesn't come overnight. It's been a journey for sure. But I think when I look at myself in the mirror now, I think, you know what, you're all right. Yeah. And I do a little checking with myself every day, you know, before I go on and take, before I go out there and take on the world. And I just say, hey, you know, I'm okay. You know, I'm okay. And, uh, and I think, you know, definitely, um, I go to the barbershop once a week. You know, I don't have much hair these days due to testosterone, but, uh, you know, that's just something I do for me. I practice a lot of self-care, you know, because the type of work I do is a lot in, is in trauma and, and uh, that kind of thing. But I really feel that taking care of myself gives me confidence. I cold water swim all year round. Mm -hmm. um, that gives me an endorphin rush like no nothing else. I like to lift weights. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think when I when I was kind of coming to terms with myself when I was a teenager, I started I started to wear clothes that kind of suited me as opposed to wearing dresses and things that I just didn't really I wasn't really into. Um, but certainly like you know, a good crisp collar and um, just uh, feeling good about myself that way. When I look in the mirror, like it really, it really makes, it really sets the tone for my day. But uh, yeah, I guess it comes with the clothes you wear and how you take care of yourself. And, 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 you know, really ultimately it's how you feel on the inside that kind of portrays what you put on the outside. Right. So we got to be good with ourselves first and love ourselves. That sounds cliche, but it's really, really true. Yeah. You know, um, our next question is again from someone GSA, but they're not here in the interview. Uh, you show a lot of understanding about how your mom struggled with the transition. How would you suggest young people keep communication lines open with family? Mm, that's a really good question as well. Um, I think, you know, every individual knows the people around them better than I think I could say, yeah. I could comment on, but I guess um, it's important to keep the dialogue going, but you got to pick your spots as my grandmother used to say, you know, um, 
and no matter what, when you're given a, whenever I give a speech or whenever I talk to a group of people, you know, you got to know your audience beforehand. So you got to know, you know, you got to feel it out. Like, is it a good moment to do that? Is it safe? Like, you know, have you really checked in with your support system outside of your family first? Um, you know, have you done your research to be able to answer their questions if they have any? Do you feel good within yourself to be able to put down your personal boundaries and say, hey, that's not cool to talk about right now? You know, so I need to take a little break from this discussion. Those types of things. I think are really important. Self-care and knowing your own personal boundaries. Um, and also just equipping yourself with the right tools and support base to be able to continue those conversations or to at least keep the door open for those conversations. Um, and, you know, to also understand that while you are feeling all of these things, that everyone else is feeling their own things. And that doesn't really have anything to do with you. That's theirs to figure out. Try not to take that personal, you know, try not to take that on on top of everything else. You know, you're who you are, and that's cool too. But to think about these things before engaging in those types of discussions. Yeah, and if I can say one thing that I think helped me keep the communication open with some of my family members is if you're able to get like physical distance from them, mm -hmm. whether like in my case, that was moving across the country, but in some people's cases, that's just staying with a friend or something like that, then it's easier because uh, you can use social media or you can use your phone to talk to them and it creates a little bit of a like safety net. Like if you're not comfortable with conversation and you don't want to end it or they're not letting you end it, just hang up. Mm -hmm. if they can't control you. Being physically away from them it helps them control you a little bit. Yeah, you know, um, I think that that's a really important point. And also if I, you know, because we joked about me being older earlier, I, uh, we can like, I found, you know, we talked about letter writing as a form of advocacy, but even writing a letter to your, to your parents, you know, that's worked for me in the past when I couldn't actually communicate with them directly or didn't feel like I was in the space to be able to do that. But it was really important for me to, to have, you know, what was going, what I was going through, uh, communicated to that. Like it was important that I communicate that to them at the time. Um, writing a letter gave me the space to do that because I didn't have to deal with their response, but I needed them to know, you know? So, um, you know, that's, that's one way to keep it open for sure. And to protect yourself, you know, in, in, in that regard. Um, yeah, just a tip. Yeah. Um, in your movie, one of the biggest parts was talking about your top surgery, your chest surgery. Uh, I was wondering how did it feel when you first looked at like your chest without any of the bandages on, like you first looked at your chest the way you'd always imagined it. My chest to me, even um, just out of surgery, mm -hmm. looked more beautiful than before surgery, yeah. even with bandages and it still being a little bit bruised and mm -hmm. tender and, and and more scarred than, than it is now because the scars are really faded, you know. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I, I just, I love my chest. Um, I never felt connected to my breasts at all. Um, but, and I also felt like the cultural weight of breasts, you know, like, what breasts mean to be feminine and, and, and all of these things. And I really thought about that. I thought about top surgery and, you know, and I thought about friends of mine who've lost their breasts to cancer and things like I, I think about everything, you know, and, uh, but for me, I felt that they needed to go. And I felt that my chest after surgery was, um, beautiful. And I felt a lot of, a lot of, uh, love for my, for myself in that moment. Um, you know, seeing myself in a new way in the way that I've always seen myself. So it was a pretty cool experience. Um, 
I know that I'm also non-binary, you're non-binary. I know that sometimes it's difficult being misgendered by like strangers, like they might call me sir or mm -hmm. ma'am, which technically neither are true because mm -hmm. I'm non-binary. Or when people are saying, excuse me, I do present a little bit more masculine mm -hmm. most days, so say, excuse me, sir or young man. And it's a little uncomfortable because mm -hmm. I'm constantly being misgendered, but being non-binary, it's harder for people to assume non-binary. So I was wondering how do you deal with being misgendered? Well, I um, basically, um, it's interesting. I mean, that comes up a, a fair bit. Now, I present very masculine, so I'm transmasculine, even though I identify as non-binary. Sometimes I can be comfortable with uh, he, him, um, but my preference and my pronouns are they, them. Um, so for me, and I'm very clear about that, very public about being non-binary to, you know, in the hopes that it will help other people, you know, younger people who, who uh, can have that representation. But... Um, what I do, one of the tricks that I've I've uh, found useful in dealing with that when I'm misgendered is that I just um, call people the opposite pronoun. Mm -hmm. So then then they stop really quick. Yeah. You know, um, especially you know uh, some of my buddies, right, yeah. um, or family members, my uncles or whatever. You know, like I'll uh, I'll call them uh, she and yeah. and uh, they'll be like, whoa, you know, and I'm like. There, see how it is. You know, it's uncomfortable, so stop it. You know, and and uh, so that kind of stops it right in its tracks. I found that to be a really cool technique, so that not you know not everything needs to be like I like to use humor in a lot of ways. I like to break up tension, that kind of thing. So that's been the most effective tool for me in terms of when I'm misgendered. Mm -hmm. I use a similar, the same strategy for people who tell me like, oh, it's not a big deal, oh, it's non-binary, I'm never going to remember that. I'm like, okay, and like, it's my dad, I'll be like, oh, hi, mom, how are you? Oh, it, she's just, uh, you know, it's my mom, it's my, you know, and mm -hmm. then he's like, um, those are my pronouns. I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. it's so crazy how those aren't your pronouns. Exactly. You know, it's wild. Yeah. Just you. <laughs> really shuts people down, yeah. um, whether they're missing you on, by accident or on purpose and being transphobic, it's, it's pretty powerful. Yeah. Um, another question from somebody else in GSA was, uh, what is the strangest question anyone has asked you? Oh my God, so many strange questions. It's really hard. Uh, mostly people ask me strange questions about my genitals. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it's just like very weird, right? It's like, I'm not asking you about your genitals. <laughs> yeah. really. Like, what is your fascination with that, you know? Um, and so, you know, I usually like um, just kind of come up with some witty response or, you know, like, why are you interested or, you know what I mean? And that just throws people off altogether, yeah. right? And then they back away, you know, and just, um, or something of that nature. But like, honestly, it's, it's just very bizarre. And we're so focused on these types of things and relating that to gender and really, you know, when the space is there for me to have the conversation about it being a social construct and these, these things, you know, people, most people listen and are curious. Um, but the, the questions that I don't like that I often have to deflect um, or tell people to Google it, yeah. are, you know, are around gender, uh, around gender neutral pronouns mm -hmm. and the different types. And, and then people feel that they need to assert their opinions about the pronouns yeah. and all of these things. It's like, even if you don't understand, you need to respect. Yeah, that's and, something I say to people. You know? I, I say, you don't need to understand it. Like, you can work to understand it, but, like, right off the bat, you don't need to understand it. You just need to respect me and the yeah. fact that these are my pronouns. Totally, totally. Um, and I don't know why people feel like, you know, if there's a gay person or someone who's trans, that, mm -hmm. you know, sexuality and, and 
body parts are up for discussion in that way, you know, but it's, it's not cool unless, you know, something worked out with that person that they're yeah. comfortable with, but yeah, they should never be types. Those are not the types of questions that, yeah. um, you know, people should be asking. Yeah. Often as uh, trans people specifically, but as queer people, when you come out or when you, when you're outspoken about it, when you're an activist, people feel like they have a right to know. And it's like, even if like, you're like, I don't, I'm not going to ask for the president's medical history, you know? So why are you asking for my, like opinion on surgery or my surgery history like you don't ask for people's like it doesn't matter that i'm an activist i'm not going to give you my medical information or if i don't feel comfortable sharing something that's still my boundary exactly exactly and you know there's a difference with offering it and then someone asking you mm -hmm. you know yeah i mean if i offer something then clearly i'm comfortable with it yeah whether that's in public or in private in a conversation whatever but then when someone's asking intrusive questions it's not cool you know, so like you're you're very obviously open about your uh, talk show during this majority of your movie, but like that's because you decided to share it, not yeah. somebody else coming and crying away. You know. Yeah, you know, and and that's that's pretty much it. And I I just wanted other people to, you know, some of the youth that I work with were kind of like had some questions around it, so it's just like here you go. Yeah. You know, it was really interesting actually to be that publicly vulnerable. I was naked for parts of that film, and you know, I felt. It felt very empowering to me, despite, you know, having struggled with gender dysphoria and I just felt so free. It was a very freeing experience. I don't know why, but it was. Yeah. Um, our last question is just, is there anything else you'd like to say to me or anybody else listening? Anything at all, whether it be about any charities, any activism, or just some tips that you'd like to give? Well, no, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. Hold on, you know. Uh, as we talked about earlier in the GSA, um, you know, I could have been a statistic. Yeah. I attempted suicide. I went to see conversion therapists and, and that, you know, was one of the results of, of that very harmful therapy. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm still here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so you gotta hang on, yeah. hang on to yourself as tightly as you can, because, you know, you never know, what way your life can turn out and how you can impact other people. So you don't have to be limited by a category and you don't have to be summed up in a statistic. Yeah. I know I've had friends who tell me like, just think about like how much you've gone through and that you're still here, mm -hmm. that you've survived every single day. And I know another thing is that like as an activist, uh, um, especially like in uh, close to my communities and trying to make sure everybody has a space. I know a lot of people have told me privately, or I've been told by other people that some people see me as ins inspirational and some people see me as like, they're the reason they felt comfortable doing certain things. Mm -hmm. That's really powerful. And yeah. like, if you, if somebody in your life is, you know, part of the reason you're still going, if they're like making you happy every day, you know, consider telling, telling mm -hmm. them because they might be going through a lot. Like yeah. I sometimes I go through a lot and when people tell me like, you're the reason I felt comfortable coming out or you're the reason I felt comfortable talking about it. It's like really empowering and it makes me want to keep going, keep yeah. doing good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like I really want to interview you yeah. <laughs> since you're super cool yeah, and so interesting and so inspiring. Yeah, I just wanted on record, Gemma Hickey said I was cool. Irrefutable proof. I'm the coolest person. You really are. You really are. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thanks for having me today. Yeah. It was a real honor. And it's it was... both ways so honorable. I'm like low key obsessed with you now. <laughs> <laughs> well, vice versa. Yeah, yeah totally. Cool. All right. Well, thanks. Yeah.